Welcome to this message from Eastwood Baptist Church, one church with two locations in Bowling Green and Alberton, Kentucky. To learn more, visit eastwoodbc.org. Now, may the Lord bless you in the hearing of His Holy Word. Wait a minute, as you grab your seat, grab your copy of God's Word, go with me to Philippians chapter 4. As you turn there for just a moment, I want you to think just for a moment about the mission of the church and how glorious it is. Think about the mission of the church and how glorious it is. We, who really in the grand scheme of things are are nobodies, we've been called into the service of the king of the universe, right? We who were rebels, right, of the utmost rebellion have been called by God to gladly, voluntarily, happily to lay down our arms of rebellion and to join him in the mission of God. Allegiance to the king who lovingly came in the flesh, who lovingly lived that moral life of perfection, never sinned in the slightest, that king who died in our place on the cross. It should have been us, right? Yet he died there that we might believe on him and be saved. This this king who died, but three days later was risen from the grave, who lives again, lives forevermore, who is now sitting at the right hand of God the Father and is presently subjecting all things to himself. This is the God who has called us in to service and who has given us this mission in the church. And this is a mission that we are to carry out together, right? Together. God wants us to make disciples, to see sinners saved and to grow like Christ. And he's given us this work together. That is the mission of the church. And it's to be done together. But we have two great enemies of that mission. One is the devil himself, and the other is sin. And actually, they go hand in hand when you think about those two enemies. Because 1 John 3, 8 tells us that whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil's been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And so, guys, we've got this mission, we've got this work that God wants us to do, but you know what? The devil has a work himself that he's wanting to do. Our mission is to make disciples and to see them grow like Christ, and the devil's job, as he sees it, is to destroy that mission, to divide that mission, to conquer that mission. And yet, Jesus Christ defeated Satan on the cross, right? That crushing blow was given to the head of the devil through his life, death, and resurrection, but like a dying snake can still bite you, right? Sin and the devil are still working to ruin the mission of God. And oftentimes, he doesn't have to work very hard. You put two sinners under one roof and guess what happens? Problems. I don't care what roof it is, man. If it's the school roof, it's the church roof, it's the house roof. I don't care if it's the picnic pavilion over here at Alberton Elementary. You can put two sinners under one roof and there's going to be 
problems, okay? There are going to be disputes. There are going to be people who are going to get their feelings hurt. And the devil is then going to take that and fan into flame or attempt to fan into flame until he can burn down the whole house. That's why he tells us in Ephesians 4, 27, don't give. Give no opportunity to the devil. Or, or some translations say, don't give the devil a foothold. Because you know good and well, if you give him an inch, he's going to take a mile. All right? And that's what the devil does. He wants to destroy our mission. And he does so by dividing our house. You see, if he can get our eyes off the mission and onto each other, he's done his job. And especially if he can get our eyes off of the mission and on to not just the other person, but the other person's neck. <laughs> and just visualizing, man, if I could just get my hands around that and just, just a little bit. He's really gained a big victory. Beloved, I've seen the devil divide people in every church I've ever served. So we have to work hard, as Paul says in Ephesians, to guard the unity of the Spirit, and the bond of peace. And so when disputes rise up, when divisions rise up, we don't let them grow so that they divide us. We work to heal them. Now in our text today, as we turn here to Philippians chapter 4, the devil has been working overtime in this text, all right? In, in the background of what this text is talking about. You see, there was a division in the Philippian church. Now if, Philipp if Philippi was like a lot of churches, there were a lot of divisions, right? A lot of churches have divisions, and sometimes they're really big divisions, but a lot of times they're small. They're just fractures. They're just fissures that are kind of underneath that nobody really knows about. But nevertheless, there was one particular division that Paul was concerned about when he wrote this letter, and it was a division between two women. One was named Yodia, and the other one was named Syntyche. We know nothing about these ladies other than the fact that their names are here in this book, right? They, they obviously were members of the Philippian church. They obviously at some point had great gospel ministry under their belts. And at the same time, they were in a serious dispute, enough dispute that Paul felt the need to address it. Can you imagine being in the service? Because these were read aloud. These letters were read aloud in, the, in these churches on the Lord's Day. Can you imagine being sitting there and, and in chapter 3, you're like, amen, man, yeah. And then all of a sudden your name gets read aloud in chapter 4. Of course, there weren't chapters back when they read it. But nevertheless, you get what I'm talking about? Can you imagine sitting there and then saying, Euodia? And you go, oh, that's me. <laughs> and that's exactly what happened. They were most likely prominent members of the church, but they were definitely giving the devil an opportunity to, to divide the house of God, and he was taking advantage of it. So Paul writes them one simple exhortation here in Philippians 4, verse 2. He says, I entreat, I urge, I plead with Euodia, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. In other words, ladies, you need to heal your dispute. Now, I think it's safe to say that it wasn't over a doctrinal matter that these two ladies were divided. Now, I know that happens, but when was the last time that you heard two people in the church get crossed with each other over a doctrine? Doesn't usually happen, does it? Right? It doesn't usually happen. And so I just have to believe that that's not what was happening here either. 
Most likely, this was personal. It was personal. Maybe Euodia voted for Donald Trump and Syntyche voted for Hillary Clinton. Maybe Euodia had made an offhanded remark about Syntyche's kids like, man, those brats, they're never quiet or still. Or maybe Euodia and Syntyche's kids, they'd gotten into this scuffle at church and one was mad at the other one for it. Or, or maybe Syntyche had decided to share a prayer request, quote unquote, about Syntyche. Or, you, uh, or about, about uh, Euodia, and it had some sensitive information in there. In other words, she was gossiping about this other woman in the church. Or, or maybe Euodia was just really talented. She was gifted in different areas of leadership. And by the way, I'm so thankful for women who are leaders in our church. Praise God for women leaders in our church. But maybe, for whatever reason, Syntyche became jealous of that. And so she began to, that bitterness grow in her heart, and that jealousy moved into passive aggressiveness, because usually that's what happens, right? We don't usually get in fist fights in the church. We become passive aggressive, like the cold shoulder snub, or we don't invite that person to the birthday party, or whatever else it may be, okay? Perhaps it was as silly as disagreeing about how they should decorate the, the women's ministry tables, for the fellowship. I mean, guys, it could have been big. It could have been little. We don't know what it was. But we know whatever it was, it was serious enough that Paul said, this must change. He called him to live in harmony. He called him to live in harmony. In fact, he said, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche. Like he was turning to look at each of them. Like he was between them. Like, like refereeing Euodia. I entreat you, Syntyche, I, I entreat you. And what he says surrounding that exhortation is helpful to us. Who still experience disputes and divisions in the church body today. Now you might be saying, preacher, is there something going on that I don't know about? And I say to you, no. <laughs> There's nothing in particular that I know of that's going on other than I know people. And as I said to Will this morning, in case you're not normally with us on a Sunday morning, this was the next text in the Word of God. And so I'm preaching it. I'm going to skip over it. You say, well, is it relevant to us? Well, let me ask you this. Do disputes, hurts, and divisions still happen in the church today? Do disputes, hurts, and divisions still happen at Eastwood Baptist Church? Do disputes... Hurts and divisions happen at Eastwood Baptist Church South Campus. And the answer is, yeah, this text is for us. Let's look at what Paul said. I'm going to invite you to stand to honor the reading of the Word of God this morning. We're going to begin in verse 1, chapter 4, verse 1, which we, we preached last week. But it's one of those texts that actually could go with chapter 3 or could go here with chapter 4 because it's sort of a bridge text that's important to both texts. And so here's what it says, beginning in the first verse, Philippians 4, verse 1, down through the third verse. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women 
who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Let's pray together. Father, your word is true. And here's what I know about your word is that it ministers to people in ways that I have no idea. And I just believe that's what your Holy Spirit is going to do today. Father, there are probably divisions that are underneath. Maybe they're just in people's hearts right now. Maybe someone has hurt their feelings or something's not going the way they think it should. And there is bitterness that has welled up in their heart. And Father, I ask that today you administer in the way that you see fit to heal that. God, would you move in our midst, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and grab your seat there. Go ahead and grab your seat. So, notice again here, last week we talked about standing firm. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, for my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord. And so, you will not stand firm. We will not stand firm if there is disunity, if there is division in the church. So, here's today's point, and you may have to add, if you're taking notes, just add a little bit to what is already printed on your bulletin there. But the point of this morning's message, today's takeaway is this. Division among church members is more easily healed when we stand firm. F-I-R-M. In unity. Division among church members is more easily healed when we stand firm in unity. And so we're going to use the acrostic firm to look at four principles in our text that will help us heal disputes and divisions that are either here or will be here at some point because two sinners are under one roof here. So the first F, F is focus on the good of the body. When divisions arise, focus on the good of the body. You see, it's so easy to get frustrated with people. Right? When, when, when people or things in the church or somebody has hurt our feelings, when things don't go our way, we become very self-focused, don't we? It becomes my hurt, my wrong, my disappointment, my frustration. It becomes about I, I, I. What's good for me and what's good for me is what I want. And you've heard this all sorts of times over the course of your life. There is no I in team, right? But you know what? In unity, there is the word I. Not the word I, but the letter I. And there's also the letter you. So if there's going to be unity, there has to be you and I. You and I have to be together, right? And I believe that's what Paul's getting at here, right? He focuses on their togetherness, on the collection of the body more than the individual. Verse 1 there, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. He calls them brothers. Brothers, that's alluding to that family connectedness that you and I have through Jesus Christ. And the Bible throughout reminds you and me the importance of that collected body of believer, the, the togetherness that you and I have, how important it is, how good it is. Solomon especially, he shared that vision when he said in Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12, he said, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift the other one up. But woe to him who's alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who's alone, two will withstand him. 
A threefold cord is not quickly broken. You see, the, what the devil wants to do is he wants to take that togetherness and to bust it up. The devil wants to separate us from one, from one another so that we will become weak, so that we'll become isolated. That will give him a better chance of destroying us. That's why it's so important for you and for me to focus on the good of the body. We must be one. And so Paul calls them and us to stand firm. We've got to stick together. We've got to stick together. If you're currently in a bit of division here, again, I don't know of any particular division, but if you're in some, even in your heart, it's not even expressed yet, you might be thinking this, well, it'll just be better for the body if I go somewhere else. And if that's in your mind, you know what you need to do? You need to turn around and say to the devil, get behind me, Satan. Because that is not the thinking of God. That is the thinking of the devil, right? That's the thinking of the devil. It would be better if you repaired the divided house and remained. It would be better if you remained together because we need each other, guys. We need each other. Jesus, in this dialogue with those that thought he was possessed by a demon, he, he delivered this truth to us in Mark 3, 24 and 25, when he said, he said, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot what, church? Stand. And we've just been called to stand firm by Paul here, right? Stand firm. A kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not stand be able to stand it. So if we're going to stand firm, we've got to focus on unity. We've got to focus on the good of the body. So how do we do this? Let me point you to two ways here. First is to consider others as more important than yourself. I, I pray that that would be the culture here because that's Christian culture. What I'm talking about here is humility, that there would be humility here in this church. We would consider others as more important than ourselves. Paul's already taught us about humility. In Philippians 2, 3, we, we preached on this a month or two ago, and he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than ourselves. And so let me say this, where you find unity, you will find humility. All right? So humility has to be here. If you are arrogant, if, if you're the type of person who says, I will not be wronged. I am too good to be treated like that. That may be a sign of pride in your heart. And I just encourage you to be humble, to count others as more significant than yourselves. But secondly, not just humility here, but we need to learn the practice, of what I call the four R's of reconciliation. If you've been around Eastwood for very long, or, or if you've counseled with me, uh, you know, independently or individually as a couple or maybe even as an individual, you've probably heard me talk about the four R's because they're so important when there is conflict or division in a relationship. And so if you're taking notes, I, I encourage you to write these down because this is what you need to do when someone has hurt your feelings or, or sins, against you in the uh, sins against you in the church. That doesn't just work for relationships here. That works with any relationship. Anywhere in society. So the first R 
of the four hours of reconciliation is to recognize. Recognize. There, there needs to be some sort of recognition that a wrong has occurred. But I want to free you up for just a moment. Because sometimes when we think about, about a wrong, we, we think that every wrong, according to, to maybe to the Bible, you think every wrong has to be addressed. Every wrong. I've got to confront that person. And actually, you know what the Bible says? You ought to try to overlook it first. That's what the Bible says. You should do everything in your power to overlook what they said, to overlook what happened. Give the person the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they were just having a bad moment. Anybody here ever have a bad moment and say something that they wish they hadn't said? Oh, man. I have. I'm going to raise both hands, right? And so we need to be gracious to one another. We need to do the best we can to overlook. Now, we don't, we don't need to go around trying to offend people, but we also don't need to always be looking to be offended. Okay? So we need to learn to overlook it if we can. Show them grace. Proverbs 19.11 tells us that good sense makes one slow to anger. And it, hit, and it is his glory to overlook and offense. So where unity is, you'll find people who strive to overlook wrongs with one another. But let's be honest, there are sometimes things happen that you cannot overlook, right? There are things that happen that rise to the level that you can't overlook it, or maybe you try to overlook it, and it just keeps eating at you, just keeps gnawing. You try to put it down, but for some reason, you, you just keep picking it back up. Well, that means you cannot overlook it. And so then you must go to that person. Let them know that there was wrong that happened. Actually, when you think about this, Scripture commands both the offender and the offended to go to one another. If your brother has anything against you, go to him, it says. And it also says if your brother has sinned against you, go to him. Either way, the sin must be recognized. That's the first R. The second R is to repent. To repent. That means that the offender, the person who did the wrong, says, I'm sorry. There is sorrow. There's grief over what they did. They're embarrassed by what they did. They're sorry for what they did. And then they pledge to turn and to never do it again. That's what repentance is, right? It's a changing of mind. I I never want to do that again. So recognize, repent, that brings us to the third R, which is release. Release. In other words, the offended person forgives the person who did the wrong. Is that easy? No. No, it's not easy. But it's godly. It's biblical. And it's really important, guys, when you think about this this third R here, it's really important that the response, when when that person comes to you and says, I am sorry, will you forgive me? It's really important for your response not to be, forget about it. Right? That's what we all, we, we try to play it down often, don't we? Just don't worry about it. Let, let's pretend like it just didn't happen. That is not the biblical response to a request for forgiveness. You see, forgiveness is an actual transaction. That means that when the person says, will you forgive me, the one who was wronged needs to say, and this is really important, yes, I forgive you. But before you say yes, you have to count the cost. 
because forgiveness is a big deal. It is a big deal. It means that you are willing to no longer hold that thing against them. So you need to count the cost. And if you can't say, I forgive you, then you need to work toward that. Because God has actually commanded us to forgive one another. Right? Now I understand, I get it, right? You've been hurt so badly that when that person comes to you and says, will you forgive me? Or maybe you've been hurt so many times that you have such a hard time saying, I forgive you. But that is the godly thing to do. You might not be able to forgive them right at the moment, but you need to begin to work in your heart toward that forgiveness so that you can soon truly say yes. I forgive you. And the final R, recognize, repent, release, and then finally is reconcile. Reconcile, that's the fourth R. That's the restoration of the friendship, the restoration of the, uh, of the fellowship to the level that it once was. Now, that may not be able to happen immediately. I get that, but it is something that should happen in time, right? It should begin. It may take time to build back that trust and to earn that friendship back, but whatever happens should no longer keep you. If you say, I forgive you, then that thing should no longer keep you from beginning to build back that relationship. In fact, again, that is the godly thing to do. Where you find unity, you will find people practicing the four R's of reconciliation. And so when you do that, the good of the body's focused on because a house divided against itself will not stand firm in unity. Second this morning. To stand firm in unity, divisions among church members are more easily healed when we, I, invite others to help restore harmony. Notice what Paul says in verse 3 here, Philippians 4, 3. He says, yes, I also ask, I also ask you, true companion, help these women. And we have no idea who he's referring to here. It very well might be that this person's name was actually true companion. Right? He may, you know, in Greek, the, the, the Greek word for that is something along the lines of, of Suzuki uh, is actually how you say it. Right? So it could be just kind of like Euodia and Syntyche. It kind of seems really strange to us for a name. It could be that this person's name was actually Suzuki, all right? Or he could just be referring in general to a true companion, whichever the way it may be. The important thing is that Paul calls this person to help. You ever been in a situation where you've tried to make things right with somebody and you just can't work it out? You try. And so what he says here is that there are times in your life when you just kind of hit a wall and the thing that you and I need to do then is to bring along someone else to help us work through this, to live in harmony. Now, the first step is to always try to fix it yourselves, right, the, between the two of you. But if that doesn't work, you need to invite somebody else in. Who do you invite? Well, somebody who is wise, somebody who's impartial, somebody who's committed to Scripture, and somebody who's devoted to the unity of the church. You see, guys, it's too important for the good of the church body to live in division. We've got to have someone to help us if we can't figure it out ourselves. And sometimes we just need that help. 
There's nothing embarrassing. There's nothing to be ashamed about. If we need help, we need help. And so ask for that. Third, the R, when we're going to stand firm, F-I-R. R stands for remember what God has done through you together. Remember what God has done through you together. Philippians 4.3 again says, Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women. Now notice this. Who labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers. You see, these ladies had once been gospel warriors together with Paul. Man, God had used them in big ways to expand the kingdom of God. And here they are. Now they're in a dispute. Now there's division. And that future gospel ministry was in jeopardy. Now that's serious. Because the furtherance of the gospel is most important, okay? And so here they are. I, I, I believe that that's what Paul's talking about here when he says, when he points out to what they used to do, right? That Euodia and Syntyche, they, their togetherness has facilitated the spread of the gospel. And what does their division do? Their division hindered the further spread of the gospel. And I ask you, when you think about division... Do you want the gospel to be hindered? Do you want the spread of the gospel to be hindered here at Eastwood? Let me speak to you directly for a moment, okay? If you are living in division in this church, if you have something against a brother or sister, whether or not they know it or not, it's in your heart, you are hindering the spread of the gospel in this congregation. And you might be saying, I ain't that important. I'm just one person. I didn't say it was stopped. I didn't say you stopped the spread of the gospel. I said you hindered it. Think about an engine for a moment. An engine runs on eight cylinders. Will it run on seven? The answer is yes. Will it run well? No. <laughs> and so that's what I'm saying, right? You are hindering. That engine is hindered if it's not firing all on all cylinders and so I say to you you're important right the fact that there's division is important because it hinders we're not as strong as we could be if that division was gone and so in that sense you are hindering the spread of the gospel so beloved let that be powerful motivation for you to heal whatever division is in your heart, whatever division is amongst us, reconcile so that great things again can be done so that the gospel can go forth unhindered. And finally this morning, M, disputes among church members are more easily healed when we marvel that you'll be in heaven together. <laughs> Look at verse 3. Yeah, I ask you also, true companion, Help these women who've labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of the fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Notice that last phrase there, whose names are in the book of life. This is one of only two verses outside of the book of Revelation that references the book of life. You know, in the book of Revelation, it's found six times. Every time... The book of life is mentioned. It determines who will be in heaven and who will be in hell. Revelation 20.15 says, And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, 
he was thrown into the lake of fire. So Paul is, is, is saying, Euodia and Syntyche, both of your names are in the book of life, which means you're going to be in heaven together forever. And that should be motivation for you to reconcile right now here on earth. Now, our temptation is to say, good, I'll just wait till I get to heaven <laughs> to reconcile and to be one with them. But can I say to you, as nice as I can, no! <laughs> Don't wait till heaven! Don't wait till heaven. Reconcile with them here on earth. There's a real sense, y'all, that the training ground for heaven is here and now. Think about what the Lord Jesus prayed when he prayed the Lord's Prayer. He prayed that the Father's will would be done on where? Earth, as it is in heaven. So we don't wait till heaven to reconcile we on earth. Work and strive and do everything we need to do to live in harmony with our brothers and sisters in the church before we get to heaven. We need to marvel, man. We need to marvel. It is amazing that my name is in the book of life and that your name is in the book of life. And because of that, we should not be apart on earth. So we need to heal the division and the dispute. And that's what Paul says we should work toward. But you know what? As I come to the conclusion this morning, there may be some of you who walked in this morning and your division, your primary division is not with someone else in this congregation. Your primary division is not even somebody who's outside of this congregation. Your primary dispute, your primary division is between you and God. Now you will never be able to heal relationships rightly without God. But more, instead of just being practical in that regard, you need to be reconciled to God, right? So think about those four R's for a moment. Those four R's work with your relationship with God, too. If you're here this morning and you are apart from God, you see, the Bible says that sin separates us from God. So you are not reconciled to God. You are not together with God if you have never trusted Christ as your Savior. And so I call you this morning to do the four R's we've already talked about with God. Recognize your sin. Repent of your sin. Ask God to forgive you of your sins, that he can release you from your sins. And then reconcile with God. Be saved. Trust in Jesus. Put your faith in Jesus. And he will save you forever. And then you, along with the rest of the saints, will have your name written in the book of life. And yeah, there may be other divisions on the earth, but here... Along with this here, we have a plan to heal those divisions. And so my final prayer is this this morning. May we heal division on earth so that we will stand firm together for the sake of the kingdom. Of heaven. Hi there, this is Pastor Ben. I have something really important to ask you, but first, I want to say thank you for taking the time to make this digital connection with us through our podcast. 
I hope the message you just listened to was a blessing, but an even greater blessing than this digital connection would be for you to connect with us in person this coming Sunday at one of Eastwood's two campuses where we get the joy of living life together in Jesus' name. And now for that really important question, which is the most important question you'll ever answer. Where do you stand before God? Now, based on what you've done, the straightforward answer is that you stand guilty and condemned before God. You are a sinner who completely deserves God's wrath forevermore in hell. And I deserve the same thing also. I mean, every person does. Guys, that's terrible news. And even worse is the fact that there's nothing you can do in and of yourself to change that. You need a Savior. But I have good news. God loved the world so much that He sent Jesus to be your Savior. Jesus came and lived the perfect life that you cannot live, and He stood condemned on the cross, dying the death you deserve. And three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead to prove to everybody that He is indeed the Savior of the world. And now Jesus longs to change your standing before God by making a trade with you. He desires to take what you've earned, which is the wrath of God in hell, and to give you in return what He has earned, which is the blessing of God in heaven. When this trade happens, instead of standing guilty and condemned before God, you will stand forgiven and righteous with the promise of everlasting life. So what must you do to have your standing before God changed? First, admit to God you are a sinner. Second, hate your sins. Turn from them and ask God to forgive you. And finally, turn to Jesus in faith and love, putting your complete hope in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and follow him until the day you die. Wherever you are listening to this podcast, Jesus is ready to make this trade with you. And I pray that you would trust in Jesus and be saved. Thank you again for connecting with us, and I hope to see you soon at Eastwood Baptist Church.